This is the Walk the Walk podcast with me, Haley Morgan. Today, I learned the term PLU, which is not necessarily obvious, but it means people like us. I'd imagine it's the people who relate to the graphic t-shirt you picked out that felt like it totally got you. Maybe it said something like uh, boss babe or pumpkin spice. It's the people who look like us, dress like us, talk like us, and believe like us. It's people like us. One thing I realized upon marrying my husband, Mike, was that it didn't matter that I chose him out of a gajillion other people in the world. It didn't matter that we were totally well-suited in nearly every single way. It didn't matter that we liked the same songs and shopped at the same kind of stores and liked the same food. It didn't matter that we had similar theology and that our goals in life were aligned. Because when it came to sharing a home with him, to being in each other's space, he just didn't do things like how I'd grown up and accustomed to things being done. I found that there is this dichotomy that happens when we get very close, very proximate to other people we see as like us, we spend When we spend tons of time with them up very close, we realize our differences very, very quickly. We are irked and annoyed by the ways that they are unlike us. However, on the flip side, when we get near people who are very unlike us, I think we are oftentimes very surprised by how similar we all are despite our differences. Our proximity highlights our sameness more than our differences. I wonder why that is. In this episode, I spoke with Liz Bohannon, founder of Seiko Designs. She is a powerhouse of a woman full of this bright light that just draws you in. In this episode, we talk about communal living because she literally lives next door to some of her best friends that she does life with. We talk about being a card-carrying member of a club and about ruffling feathers. This episode is a fun one. It kind of crystallized for me in that moment. Um, my whole life, I feel like I've had a pretty good, I, I'm just not someone who struggles a ton with guilt um, or being, you know, really like wrecked over, um, uh, you know, feeling guilty about things or uh, even in some ways when I think about my relationship with the Lord with not being good enough. I think I feel very familiar with um, my fallenness <laughs> and with my, it just feels I'm not someone who really struggles a ton with perfectionism because I think the ways in which I fall short just feel so painfully obvious to me that I'm so far away from being perfect that it's almost not even a struggle for me. And I think that that's what resonates with me so much about the story of of Jesus, especially in this day and age. Like, I love that there is a story that I believe in that says, like, you're not all right. You're not perfect. You're mm-hmm. not whole. But that's okay because here's this like this gap uh, um, is going to be filled and that gap is going to be bridged with this concept of grace. And so 
I kind of had this identity that I was someone who kind of like got that. And I understood that, that there was nothing that I could do, no way that I could fall short that would make God love me less. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in this moment, what I realized was that the opposite of that um, was not true. And the opposite, I mean, I realized that believing that there wasn't anything bad enough that I could do to lose God's love is only half of the understanding of grace. It's also believing that there's also nothing that I could do to make him love me more. And I was sitting here in Uganda and I felt like I had, you know, I was in this season of life where I was just like utterly relying on the Lord and I had no idea what I was doing and I didn't have any money and I didn't have any friends. And I was like pursuing God and kind of chasing after him the hardest that I ever had. And yet I realized like, even in this season, God actually doesn't love me more than he did in previous seasons. And kind of this, like, it it really kind of, um, I don't know, it it, it made me understand that there's kind of two sides to grace, that there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less, but there's also nothing you can do to make him love you more. And there was a profound kind of sense of peace, I think, that came after that, of of this sense of like, I want to chase the Lord and I want to chase after Jesus because that's that's how I was created to live. And that's what will bring my spirit to life. And that's what will enable me to kind of pour into other people. I don't want to chase after God because I think that that's what's going to make him love me more or to gain, to gain favor. Yeah, that's so good. I think I totally resonate with that. I am like an achiever. I'm the person who like, I do feel most alive when I'm doing things. And I was really offended the first time that I kind of came into that understanding of like there's something I could do to make God love me more because I'd lived my whole life like that was kind of my edge was that I did stuff to make people love me more and the idea that I couldn't do that with God was like wait what I yes it reoriented (laughs) my whole perception of love and of um even the activity that I needed to be doing in my life and I wish I could say I had it like totally figured out but I'm still working on all that. Um, oh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, right? Um, okay, so you are, I love on your social media, like you're outspoken, you're not afraid to kind of go there in wherever there is at the moment. Um, and I so appreciate that about you. I, <laughs> um, I'm so interested to know kind of how trying to think of the way to word this question. How do you square? Actually, this really has nothing to do with what I said earlier. Okay. (laughs) Works and faith and the idea of there's nothing we can do to make God love us more or less. How, so you run this amazing business with a mission. How, how do you square the idea of like, abiding and resting and all of that and also producing and changing the world and using God's power to do that. I think we're on a similar wavelength about that, but I'm just interested in maybe your take on things. So for me, it has a lot less to do with the manifestation. What does it look like? What am I doing? You know, what am I producing? What am I growing? What am I creating? And a lot more to do with the motive. I would say, you know, I, I, like you have a bent towards action. Mm -hmm. Um, it is really Mm -hmm. hard for me. And to be honest, I freaking struggle 
with people who are not bent toward actions. Like uh, I'm, I'm very quick to at the com- at the end of a conversation step. How do we how do we move forward? Um, and I sometimes default because I do think that there is a time and a place for restfulness for reflection for you know, sabbatical and pausing and all of that stuff. Um, it it feels very clear. And, you know, I say that and someone else who loves Jesus and loves, you know, the Bible could have a very differing opinion that I respect that we, that our default should be towards creating. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just believe that that's how, um, that's how we were created, um, was to be kind of agents of, of creation and to, we were each given such unique, I believe gifts. Um, but I, and, and to not put those out into the world, I think largely the thing that keeps us from doing that is fear. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that fear is not of God. So someone who's resting in, in the Lord and not, in, um, and that's a really intentional thing and it's honest, I think there's absolutely a place for that. I think a lot of time, especially in our current culture, and we could go on a long tangent about this because I have very strong feelings about um, self-care culture. Um, but in this current moment where it's like to like rest, to say no, to stay back, to not push myself, to have boundaries. And I absolutely understand a really important conversation to have, but, but it's not always like, I feel like it's become the general rule. And a lot of times I, what I feel like I hear people telling me is like, stay in and drink wine and watch Netflix. Um, and it's like, so uh, that might be intentional rest, but that also might not be. And I think we're getting a little bit confused. And I just, I've had a lot of conversations with people that I feel like take a nugget of truth, which is you need to have boundaries, you need to take care of yourself. And I believe that that is inherently a really good truth. But then they use that as basically a vehicle or a mechanism to justify fear, which is mm-hmm. like, I don't want to go out and create because I don't want to fail. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to get burnt out. I don't want to be tired. Um, and I tend to say like, but isn't that when we, isn't that like, I, that's where I've met the Lord is when I've yeah. come to a place where I've said like, I don't have any more ideas and I end of my own rope and like, Lord, if this is going to happen, I need you to step in. Mm-hmm. It okay. is some of my most beautiful experiences with God have been when there has been a Delta between where we need to go. And it's like in that Delta is where I feel like in some of the most powerful ways the Lord shows up and we don't get there unless we're kind of pushing ourselves and putting mm-hmm. ourselves out there and saying yes to something before we have it figured out, before we think we can do it on our own. Um, so for me, and I'll kind of circle back to my first statement, is to me it becomes much more about honestly acknowledging and understanding your motivations. Am I creating and going and producing and moving and saying yes out of a sense of I need to be better, I need to do more, I need God to love me more, I need people to think more highly of me? In which case, I think that that's a recipe for disaster and burnout and exhaustion, and it's not healthy and good. I think that if you are producing and creating and stepping out and taking a risk out of a sense of um, abundance, and like, I am so filled up by the Lord, by his goodness. And I think for me, a huge mission, literally on a daily basis, is like, I just wake up and my first every day is like, holy crap. I'm in a house, a very comfortable bed, 
with like a nice soft comforter and I'm laying next to this man who treats me with respect and loves me and I have health insurance and I have I know exactly where I'm going to get food for every single meal of the day and I know exactly how I'm going to feed my own kids like I cannot sit in that acknowledgement without it pretty automatically bubbling over to so many of my needs are met I have this like urgent need and desire and really a, a sense of responsibility, but I'd call it joyful responsibility to say mm -hmm. like, Oh my gosh, what do I do with this? It's just, it's too much. It's so much. It's too much for one person. It's too much goodness. It's awesome. Everyone deserves this. Like I want, and, and that feels very different. Like it feels like this motivation that's out of like, Oh my gosh, my cups are flowing. I need to find other cups to pour into. Mm -hmm. Um, then like, Oh my gosh, I have to run this race because someone needs me to do that because I need to look like this awesome person or I need God to love me more. I need to make up for, you know, these other areas of my life. Um, they just feel like really different motivations, even though if you're looking from the outside, it may, the actions may look the exact same. So I think for me, it's less about actions and manifestation and more about kind of examining my own heart and like, where is that energy coming from? I am the most verbose person you've ever met. And so I'm really sorry. I just realized that was literally like a 15 minute answer. To no, <laughs> it was so great. It was so great. It's ex no, it was so great. Okay. So you said it looks, if you look at the, the motivation, the, the manifestation externally looks maybe the same, but the motivation might be different. Looking at the external manifestation, do you get pushback for the stuff that you do? For like, you live like a, a big life. Do you get pushback for that? Yes. <laughs> I, you know, one of the best things that has happened to me recently, um, I was sitting down and doing some real self-reflection and what ended up, I was doing actually morning pages. Have you ever done morning pages? Yes. Yes. Okay. I was, this was probably a year ago and I was doing a morning page and just something just bubbled up in me. And basically what came out was this essentially like, um, <laughs> melodramatic manifesto about how I don't belong anywhere. Like the sense that it's like, I'm too much, I'm too loud, I'm too ambitious, I'm too controversial for, you know, the the Christian women's world. I make people uncomfortable, I think, at times. Um, yes, I get pushback from there, and there have been on so many occasions where I feel like I've kind of been made to feel less than um, and, and not doing that thing right. And then on the other hand, you know, like I, I live in Portland, Oregon, and it's probably one of the most, well, I think awesome. I love Portland, but it's, you know, culturally very different than when I grew up, you know, like in the Bible Belt. I mean, it's very liberal. It's very quote unquote post-Christian, whatever that means in this day and age. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like in that kind of community, it's like, oh, I'm like really conservative and I yeah. love Jesus and little antiquated and not very logical and is associated with a lot of other things about being basically like bigoted and hateful and narrow minded and all of that kind of stuff, which is an interesting, that's a whole nother conversation about the, the far kind of liberal mentality of open mindedness, which mm. is, I think just as much a sham as the conservative side of uh, being super close minded. But anyway, another topic, but what came <laughs> out of these 
pages was basically like, I don't, I don't have a full invitation to either one of those lunch tables. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote it out, it felt really like sad and melodramatic. And then what ended up coming out of it was this just like absolute freedom and acceptance of that truth. And it's like, kind of once you're like, I just don't know, I kind of feel like I float in between these worlds. And there's um, things that get accepted, but then things that get very pushed back on um, from and that I don't feel bummed out or that my feelings get hurt or that I feel insecure anymore, because all of those things still happen. Um, but there was a there was a real sense of freedom that kind of came out of like, I don't really f- fully feel like I fit in either of those. So why the heck, like, you know, bend over backwards trying to make all the people happy instead of just like, hey, this is who I am. And there's a lot of, I think, what other people see as like paradox. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm just going to be fine with that. And this is, I'm still working it out and I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. And it's more important is like really understanding what is my, what is my truth and how do I reconcile these beliefs and these things that other people are telling me can't go together. Um, it's more important for me to figure that, that out than have like, you know, a laminated card of membership to either one of those clubs. Okay. So you talked about Portland, about living there, loving living there. It seems like you have really close friends there and really like have your, well, to me, it looks like best case scenario. It looks like a little like commune. Can you tell me about just about that, like how it came to be, what that looks like. And then I have a follow-up question for you. Yeah. Um, I'll try to keep it somewhat brief, but this is definitely one of my topics that I can <laughs> run my mouth on. Go for it. Go for it. The history basically of the, of the community. So we moved to Portland. We were so pathetic. We had no friends. We were totally broke. We were living out of our car, um, which is absolutely the best place for community to start. Mm-hmm. So we were desperate to be completely honest. I mean, we moved to Portland. It was March. It rained all the time. We watched way too much Friday Night Lights. Um, we uh, were just in this season where I think we were very beggars can't be choosers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what I think. What I think about um, Portland is actually really unique and I think really contributes to what we've been able to build here is that none of our core, core people um, grew up here or have family here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a shared sense of desperation, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a shared sense of like, we need people, um, that we can count on and that we can call on because we don't have this like kind of safety net or, you know, our families that are obviously the natural person to call when you need a hammer or you're running late and you need someone to pick up your kid, all of these like micro things that I think we tend um, to very naturally, and it's not bad, rely on our nuclear family for none of us had. Mm-hmm. And so I think we had this general sense that it was like, we need each other in a way that goes a little bit beyond um, what we might if we grew up here, and we have high school friends, and we have college friends, and we, you know, we have these really stable support networks. So it basically all started out of desperation, kind of this like ragtag group of friends who didn't have family. Of course, we enjoyed each other. That's an important part of, you know, friendship in chemistry. And it was really a slow progression. You know, we, we naturally already lived in kind of the same area of town. Um, and that, that was kind of by accident and mainly cause it was just like a cool part of town to live in and it was fun. And so Ben and I's worlds were completely 
really rocked when we realized like, oh my gosh, we can ride our bikes to our friend's house and we could get on our bikes after work and go just ride past their house, knock on their door and see if they're home. And it's no big deal if they're not, because it was a 15 minute bike ride Mm -hmm. growing up in the Midwest where we drove 30 minutes everywhere. That was a really big thing to us. So we were like, this is amazing. And we saw even just with that, even being a 15 minute bike ride away, friendships started to transform because we would just drop by and we would show up with, you know, Rice Krispie treats randomly and eat on the porch and it was 45 minutes and then we would, you know, keep riding our bikes and, um, and go on our way. And so then, um, probably a few years into that, the apartment next to one of our best friends opened up and this will make some people's skin crawl. I totally realize this. (laughs) People have to trust that we know our friends well enough. We, we got the apartment without talking to them. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be an epic surprise. The husband knew and he was in on it. The wife did not know. And it's still one of my favorite things ever. We basically surprised her by moving next door. And she's a very, it was just so fun. So we were like, oh my gosh, now we share a wall and we share a backyard. And we saw, oh my gosh, over the course of that year, the relationships between the four of us fundamentally, absolutely, completely transformed. Um, Because we were just, it's proximity and it's Mm -hmm. just, You know, I remember the first morning of being outside, I have a project addiction. So it was like, you know, 630, you know, have an electric sander in the backyard working on some project. And the neighbor, one of our friends came out coffee for me while I was on this project. And I remember just like taking a mental Polaroid of that and being like, this doesn't happen unless you're close, unless you have proximity, you know, and we had a 10 minute conversation and then he went back inside. And so that was super transformational for us. And we were basically, we basically just realized like, hey, if we want to live life and rely on each other and not hide, that was the other thing. Our apartment walls were really thin (laughs) and my and I are not quiet people. It was like the first couple of weeks I remember, you know, trying to like hide in a corner of the house where we thought a fight and, you know, starting out whisper fighting, but because and I, within 30 seconds, it goes from whisper fighting, fighting. It was honestly kind of just this like white flag who we are and we can't, you're going to hear everything. Like you're going to overhear it and we have to trust that that's okay. And and we're not going to hide anymore. And man, it was, it's pretty wild to be in a place where it's like, I know I'm going to talk, have to talk to Miriam about that tomorrow. (laughs) You know, like she heard that and she's going to want to know what's up and she's going to ask me if we reconciled. Um, and that is so terrifying. It's so scary and it's so terrifying and it touches every part of pride and insecurity and ego, but kind of similar to the like white flag, shoot, I don't belong anywhere. I might as well just be of like, there's no way to hide anymore because we're too close. So I might as well just go all in and you, you know, you can know everything. Um, and the freedom that was born out of that led me to saying like, this is, I want to be known. I want to be forced into being known. I don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want to have to even decide to be known because that's a lot of work of like, am I, am I brave enough to share this? Can I do, there's something that's really freeing when you don't even have to share that you and your husband got in a big fight last night because all the neighbors heard it. <laughs> you know? Yes. You're like, you're like you are forced into being known. You are forced into vulnerability. Um, and I, I, we were just like, we just, we, it doesn't always feel good in the moment, but man, that's the life that we want to build is, is a life of complete kind of transparency and knownness, if that's a word. Um, so long story long, 
we became hellbent as a friend group of like, let's find houses that are within what we called baby monitor distance. So we didn't have kids at the time. We knew and hoped and prayed that that would be coming. And so, and we knew, we just saw a lot of our friends a few stages ahead that became very isolated um, when they had kids. Because mm-hmm. it was like, kids are down for bed at, you know, 730 and we're in for the night unless we get a babysitter and we do all the things. And there was a lot of ice. And a lot of marriages suffer because they became more isolated and kind of the marriage unit became the thing that each party depended wholly on. And I'm a very big believer that a hard thing to put on your marriage and that your marriage can't bear the weight of all of your needs as a person is so necessary to share in that. Um, and so we kind of became really committed to, Hey, before we have kids, we want to live in baby monitor distance so we can put the kids to bed and still hang out. Um, and so that's what we did. So it took years. It took, it was so, and I want to be very, very clear about this. Anytime we talk about this, there was nothing, nothing magical or organic about it. I mean, it was massive Google spreadsheets and thousands of conversations, hard conversations, by the way, about priorities and what I'm willing to sacrifice, what I'm not willing to sacrifice. Um, Difficult, two very difficult years of meeting literally weekly to kind of vision and then move into the logistics of this dream that covered everything, everything from, you know, neighborhoods and schools and finances. I mean, we really, to make it work, kind of had to bear our souls. I knew ex- down to the dollar how much everybody was making and how much they were willing to spend on housing. And in order to do it, we had to break every single taboo of like, you don't talk about those things with your friends. Um, and it was really, really difficult work. And I think the reason that I'm so adamant about being honest about that is the last thing that I ever want someone to see is like, oh, we have, because it's, I'll be completely honest. I think it's magical. I think it's like, we live with, you know, within eight feet of nine of our best friends. And I literally just dropped my baby off next door because I can do that because I live next to my best friends while I record a podcast. Um, but it wasn't organic and it wasn't something that just happened. And I would hate for people to see that and just be like, well, why doesn't that happen to me? Why can't I find that? Um, because what you don't see is kind of the invisible behind the scenes work that went into it. Um, and that's really important because I think a lot of people miss out on the richest community because they're waiting for it to be organic Mm. and they're waiting for it not to be awkward and they're waiting for it all to kind of just magically fall into place. And I just, I don't think that that is how it works because we're all humans (laughs) and we're all really messed up and we're super annoying and we have these things that we, that people just have to love us through, um, And if you just sit or if you wait for something to be organic, I just don't think it's ever going to happen. So it's like, no, go into it, assuming there's honestly going to be probably two or three years where it feels more like work than it does like ma- magic. Yeah. And then over time, that starts to turn into the magic and you get to reap the benefits of that work. Yeah. And isn't that kind of like so many things in life that we think should maybe just fall into place, but don't without us kind of doing that. Um, were there any people that you kind of like wanted to be in your circle that were like, nah, that's not for me. Yep. Yeah. So specifically, um, specifically when we started this process, I think we had about, about maybe six families or couples or single, you know, six units of people. Um, maybe seven 
that were like, this is awesome. I want to do this. I'm totally in. Seriously, like friends living next to each other. Yes. So that we're at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fascinating, Haley. Like the, the, when we were in the visioning and the dreaming, everybody wanted to be a part of it. Right. It was like, who wouldn't like friends living next to each other, having fun, whatever, right. sharing life. Everyone wants to be a part of that. Then it was like, so, so the conversations that were happening, you know, Tuesday night with, you know, uh, you know, at the kitchen table where we're drinking whiskey and we're like dreaming about the future. Everyone wants in. Then very, then the Google sheet started. Okay. <laughs> that was, that was a very transformational when we started really putting it on paper and okay, what are we willing to do? What are, you know, we started out with this Google sheet where everybody basically kind of wrote out their priorities, everything from school districts to, can I Airbnb it out regularly? Can I, it's close to my work, all of these different things. Um, and then we looked at this Google spreadsheet and we were like, literally that's not possible. It's (laughs) literally possible for everybody to have even their top two priorities met. Mm -hmm. And what became very clear was there was a segment of people who were pretty quickly willing to say, "Mm, okay, I thought that that was a non-negotiable for me. Actually, the number one priority is just proximity and Mm -hmm. this community and doing life together and everything else is negotiable to people who said like, no, my number one priority is this other thing. And, um, I'm not really willing to sacrifice on that or it, I won't do it unless everybody moves to my area of town because I already, you know, whatever the yeah. thing is, there was a real, uh, there was a real kind of reckoning where people started to drop off. Yeah. And really, that it was like, I say that I want community. Mm-hmm. I say that I want, I want all the stuff, but like when it comes down to it, I'm holding really tightly onto these other things and it turns out because we're not all, you know, millionaires and we don't have time travel machines like that, that was impossible <laughs> to hold all of those things. And to be completely honest, there um, there was a few it was kind of painful. Yeah. There were some things that went down that if in hindsight hit it differently, there's been some really beautiful reconciliations that have come out of that. For instance, one of the guys who kind of dropped off early on um, and it, it was actually really painful. He felt um, we all have our different takes on how it went down, but it was like messy and feelings mm-hmm. were hurt. Actually just bought a house about six months ago, right behind. Perfect. Us. And this is three years later, right? So it's been this really beautiful kind of story. And there's other couples and families that are like not even remotely a part of you know the community or the conversation anymore. Um, so even that was sticky and it was messy. And it was a like, if I could tell you how many hours of conversation of the Google spreadsheet of, you know, being the people that were willing and able, of course, you know, to at 2 PM on a Tuesday say, Oh my gosh, this property just came up in North Portland. Who can go look at it? I'll go look at it. You know, like, um, it it, probably thousands of hours. Um, and then it it became pretty clear that it was like, there was a core group of us that were willing to say nothing as much to mm-hmm. us as being close to each other. And then those are the families that we're now kind of in it together. Yeah. When my husband and I got married, we moved out to Charlotte, North Carolina, and it's a really pretty transient area also. Like nobody really, um, I mean, obviously people are born there, but a lot of people moved in for work. And so we found ourselves in the same situation where we were like, well, we have no one but each other. We're 600 miles away from anybody that we know. And I was pregnant. I was like five months pregnant or something. And so I was like, we need people. And we kind of, I mean, we definitely 
didn't go as like deep and planned as you guys have, which is like a dream. And obviously also a probably mortifying dream sometimes because you're putting your whole self out there. Um, but yeah, we definitely found that proximity mattered so much. We, we became friends with our neighbors. So, and not like, I mean, I wish I could say I was super altruistic and Jesus-y and was like, I was friends with all my neighbors. But yeah. there's obviously, it was like we were friends with the neighbors that we connected with or had chemistry with or whatever. But those friends that we did, those it's happened a couple times for us in our life. And it's been the best kind because you can walk over in your pajamas or you can, you know, send your kid over there if you're throwing up while you're pregnant or whatever. I mean, there's 10,000 things, but I... I think in our, I mean, I live in the Midwest now. I live in Indianapolis. And we definitely are used to not being close to people. We right. drive in. We drive in our garage, shut the garage door. And then you're in your little house with your nuclear family for the rest of the night until the next morning. And, um, I mean, there's you miss out on so much when that's the way that you live. So I'm excited to kind of, I like watching from afar your little um, community. And I also think it's funny that you have to like put out a disclaimer ahead of time. Like, I know it's like a thing and people, not everybody, it's not for everybody and all of that. Because I think if people could do the work of it, it probably is like best case scenario really for how humans are created and for what we actually need. And especially in just the modern world where it's easy to see everybody, but not be with people. I guess. Oh my gosh. I think loneliness is the poverty of our hmm. country. And it's so it's like, I, maybe it's not right for you in the form that we're doing it, but I, and I tend absolute. So I try to question myself. I'm about to say an absolute, but I'm going to do it anyway. Go for I it. just think that we would all be better. We as humans are created and will thrive more when we are known and when we're doing life together last weekend with these same families. Um, and we were sitting around the table and, you know, just like having a beautiful meal. We are actually celebrating one of the couple's anniversaries. And so group anniversary dinners are a thing. I love it. <laughs> it's actually really fun. It's yeah. kind of like a rehearsal dinner. Um, and it just, we, there was just such this acknowledgement that it's like, I a hundred percent believe the likelihood that our marriages will not only survive, but thrive is a thousand times greater because of this community. Mm. Um, because I don't like my husband is not my end all be all right. That it's like, I'm, I'm surrounded by these people that have different gifts than him that can speak into my life in a different way. And if you're insecure, that's threatening. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if, if you're, if you're grounded and solid and rooted, it's this amazing sense of freedom that it's like, I don't need to be everything to you all the time because we have this entire kind of ecosphere and there may be a conversation or a viewpoint or something that someone else can kind of bring alive in you that I don't necessarily. And if that's who you, my husband were, if that's helping you become more of who you were fully created to be, like, why would I not want that for you? Um, I think the lack to kind of go back to, I'm just the last 
lack of secrecy and shame. It's like we have weekly. So every week we meet the guys meet and the girls meet kind of separately every Wednesday night. And then we as a big family meet every um, every other Monday. But we have these times on a literally a, a weekly basis, these like check ins. And when you on a weekly basis are coming to the table with kind of like, oh, here's where we're at. Here's what we're struggling with. Here's probably that moment at family dinner that you where there was some snarkiness. This is what was going on. Whatever. A week is not a it's in shame to like take root. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. like it's like there's just this constant telling of the soil um, that keeps things from taking root and from becoming, uh, shame filled. And I have to hide this. And if someone knew this about me, they'd think this about me, or they'd think this about my husband or, um, you know, it's like when my friend comes to me and she's like unloading about something so annoying or frustrating that she's struggling with, with her husband, she doesn't have to worry that that's going to paint to me this terrible picture of who her husband is because I know him. And it's like, I believe that that is a real struggle in your marriage. I also know that here's all the ways in which I saw up close, your Mm -hmm. husband really love you or try to love you well this week. Um, So you don't need to be worried about what I'm going to think he's a terrible person. Even if you share the worst, hardest moment in your marriage, because I have a picture of him and of your marriage that's bigger than that moment. So you, you can trust me with that because that's just a little piece of the mosaic that I'm going to put into like, this is the whole picture of who you are. Um, and it's not everything. So you don't need, you don't, you're not responsible. You're not the PR team for your husband and for your marriage. You get to just be the truth teller, um, and the true person that you are in that moment. And you can trust me with that because I get to see this like bigger picture. And I think in the long run that will save marriages. Yeah, <laughs> I know well, that sounds dramatic, but I really think it's true. No, it makes so much sense. And you know, when you were explaining that, it sound that sounds like family. I mean, that's what we trust our family to do for us is to see the whole of who we are and not just this one thing. And I think that's really, really beautiful. And I think it's I think it's I mean, I'm sure it's so annoying to have people be like, I wish I had that. But and that's not what I'm saying. But I think it's admirable. And I think it's has to be incredibly difficult. And I see how it would take years to get to a place of um, like comfort in it and not the not only feeling the discomfort of it. Because I mean, that's a lot of people to have refining you and kind of rubbing up against the not as awesome parts of you and all of that. But I also have to imagine that it's great having like hype girls there and people who like want to see you be fully Liz and want to see, you know what I mean? Like want to see that fullness and want other people to see that fullness of you as well. And I honestly think to really circle back to an earlier part of our conversation about this sense of like, I don't belong or I'm too much for this circle or crowd and I'm not enough for this other crowd. I honestly think it's like, yeah, but I have my four women, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's like I have the four women that on a weekly basis, and then I have another small group, another four women that I went to college with. And these are like my core, core people. These are my best friends, my lifelong committed women. There's not that many of them, Mm -hmm. but it's like I, every day of the week would choose four women over 40,000, you know, that are giving me their like Instagram stamp of approval or telling me that I can be a part of this conference or, you know, this club. 
it, that feels so sexy. And there are times where it's like, oh, I want that. I want to be a part of it. I want to be in, I want to be, you know, whatever. But it's like, if you, if you re when it really comes down to it, I would choose utter and complete and unconditional love from three people that truly want to see me become more of who I was created to be than like the occasional big standing ovation for, from 40,000 people that like, they're not going to be there when I'm, sleep deprived and questioning my life and struggling in my marriage and figuring out what to do with this other family dynamic. Like those, those people that like cheer for you and like your posts and they're not going to be there. So it's just, I I choose the three. I choose the three every day of the week. And I think that having that has given me a greater sense of freedom of like, I don't need meta belonging if I have micro belonging. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I love that. That's so good. Um, okay, last question. What is a book that you think everybody should read? Do you oh have one? Gosh. So <laughs> if I just actually. Um, you can't post- say the Bible. Okay, okay, okay. My first, um, I've never been in a book club before and we just kicked off a book club in my living room last night. So books are on the mind. Oh my gosh. My favorite. Or well, like a I mean, okay. Read. It doesn't have to be like the one, but okay. maybe just what's off in the top of your head. That's um, a lot of pressure to give you. I'm so sorry. I should have prefaced that. I really, really love books. <laughs> uh, if I had to choose one, I hope this isn't too cliche because it's, it's, most probably everyone's at least heard about it. I would say Traveling Mercies by Anne Lamott. Ah, oh, so good. She Anne just has Lamott. a way. What? She just has a way, like, of writing. Oh, my gosh. I thought you just said she just passed away. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. I'm like, no, no, no. I saw something yesterday right last night and Haley knows um 2018 is terrible it's not that terrible yeah. Yeah. okay good good we we have that at least um, she, does. she I read Traveling Mercies actually when I was in high school and it was the first time mm, I mean is Anne Lamott not the example of to me she is the woman that has said I don't need the laminated library card yeah um in a way that kind of broke my world open as a high schooler and I think has um, just continued to really influence me. It's like there is a way that she pursues truth that feels um, so much greater than her need for acceptance, mm-hmm. not to mention just as a writer, she's brilliant. Right. And there's just no one that I enjoy. I feel like her just usage of words, I'm just like gooey about yeah even on twitter i'm like why how did you get all of this all oh, of this it's not fair <laughs> right Anne. pass it along okay exactly um, i would say if you haven't read and i i have loved a lot of her books but none of them have kind of like struck me and stuck with me in the way that traveling mercies has maybe oh, it was just because oh. it was my first but i i think it's I loved it, and I would highly recommend everybody read it. I think there's truth for everyone in there. That's so good. I love it. All right. Thanks for talking. I feel like we could talk about 10,000 other good controversial topics. We'll have to (laughs) – maybe we can do, like, an unrecorded Skype sometime. We can get to the meat of things. (laughs) We all start the controversy podcast. I love it. Yeah. talk about the controversy. Go for it. You should do that. 
Thanks for listening in again. Reviews are super important, so if you loved the show, please leave one on iTunes or the podcast app. I really appreciate it. You can pick up my most recent book, Preach to Yourself, wherever books are sold, and follow along with my most recent posts and thoughts about creativity, faith, culture, and womanhood over at Haley, H-A-Y-L-E-Y dot E dot Morgan on Instagram. Talk to you again soon.